It's good to see you all. Um, I have asked um, uh, Mr. Dutton, uh, where's ben, is Ben here? Yeah, ben as well, um, to help me begin this uh, sermon today. So if you'd like to come to the front, that would be great. Um, who here has ever played the, the, the word association game? You know, yeah? Okay. So we're going to do this with these two because I thought it would be funny to get these two up to this because they're not at all competitive with each other in any way, shape, <laughs> shape or form. Okay. So we're going to do... Uh, Steve just told us to pray for peace, that we're peace, <laughs> peaceful. Pe <laughs> it's okay, Ben. It's all right. If you lose, it's okay. Um, so, uh, so we're just going to do like Christmas words, okay? Um, so first go, Matt, I'll start with you. I'm going to give you the word, and then you're going to say something, and then he's going to say something, and then it's coming back to you. Do you get it? Yeah. Just, I'm not joining in. Okay. Christmas. Cracker. Hat. Christmas tree. Oh, you aren't happy. One nil to Ben. Okay, we'll go. We'll, you, do you get it now? Okay. <laughs> do you feel like you're at a disadvantage? <laughs> Christmas cracker. You could think of no other words to do with Christmas. No, okay. Angel. Halo. Holy. Jesus. Virgin. Branson. Pickle. Relish. We just went from Virgin to Branson. And then you said pickle. It's Branston. He didn't challenge. This is the best start to a sermon ever. Okay. Right. I'm starting with you this time, Matthew. Do you want to hold this when you do it? Because it might be easier. Okay. Mary. Virgin. Trains. Late. Early. Babies. Children. It, it wasn't wrong, but it was weak. Yeah, you're rubbish. Both going to sit back down. <laughs> oh, dear. Who knew that they'd be that bad? Um, doesn't look like... Oh, it's not working. Okay, the next slide says Mary. Okay. Um, uh, Mary. I don't know if you did hear what they said, but they said... Um, babies and nothing much more than that really children Ben was really imaginative at that point I wonder what the words are that you associate with Mary I wonder what the words are that you associate Mar with Mary or the images that you associate Mary which is where a PowerPoint would be really useful to show you um, so uh, the you can have a play if you want um, I don't know what your picture of Mary is. Uh, probably she wears kind of a white or blue gown. Yeah? With a brilliant, thank you, 
Um, see if this is working as well. Oh, yes, it is. We're all good. Maybe like this. Um, maybe you've seen something like this with a halo. Um, or maybe one like this called Jesus. Um, I wonder if you've ever seen one like this. Anyone ever seen an image of Mary like that? Yeah? Uh, these were taken down by the Catholic Church, uh, deemed to be too pornographic. Before that, it was used to display something of the femininity of what God was like. There's this one, which is on a building near John Lewis on Oxford Street. Do you, they're images that feel familiar to us, aren't they? Have you ever thought about how many times Mary actually gets mentioned in uh, the carols that we sing? Of, of the, like, the top ten carols that we sing, Mary is mentioned three times. In Silent Night, you're gonna, in your head you're going to be going through the words now, Hark the Herald and O Little Town of Bethlehem. Only three of the biggest carols that we sing mention Mary. But I want to suggest something to us today, which is this. That maybe that is a better image of Mary. Maybe that is a better image of Mary. Some of you will know that this is the image of the woman in Birmingham who stood up to the EDL um, marcher. Mary, rather than this serene looking, almost false looking female, is probably better understood as a rebellious woman. Some suggest that possibly there is a link in her name, the root of the name Mary, that actually means rebellious one. So here's the thing, all over the world, people are silenced, people are oppressed, there are oppressors. I don't know if you have ever thought about what does it feel like to be silenced. Imagine for the rest of today that you simply could not voice what you actually feel and think. Imagine for the rest of today and the rest of this week that oppression was your only experience of life. And it's not just about what happens in places that aren't here. It's also about things like domestic violence. It's also about things like living on nothing and having to make your way to the food bank here. It's part of fleeing another country because of an oppressor. It's feeling the boot of the oppressor on your neck. And it's like being out of breath. I was, um, uh, when I was over in the States, just, um, I just mentioned that, uh, just recently I went to New Mexico and I hadn't appreciated that it's a, quite a long way above sea level. So as soon as I got out the plane, I felt my breath go. I was like, oh, goodness, 
I was out of breath. I think that's what it must feel like the whole time. You can't breathe. Every time you try to take a breath, you feel life isn't there. And what we know is this, that oppressors always use violence. Oppressors always use violence or the threat of it on their victims. And Mary was in a context of oppression. So we can't understand this story and her searching and seeking and being available to God unless we understand that. A thousand years of defeat and loss and oppression of her people being overrun, being ruled by people that they had not chosen. And there's this longing to be back in that time where David was king. But now their oppressor is the Roman Empire. Emperor Augustus, who saw himself and was made to feel like he was divine. You see how he's got a little kiddie at the bottom. That's the child of Cupid hanging on to him. Caesar announced themselves every time as Sota, saviour. They saw themselves as saviour. They were announced as saviour. And they ruled the whole of the known world. He saw himself as the son of God and was announced as the son of God. He was declared to be the one that could wipe away sin. These were the phrases that were used. He was the evangelon, the bringer of good news. Worship him or die was the message. Augustus, even the name when he was given it, means worthy or revered and worshipped. It's given to him 27 years before Jesus was born. And this is something that Virgil wrote. There is no other name under heaven. Do you recognize this? There is no other name under heaven by which you can be saved than that of Caesar. It's astounding, isn't it? Can you see what's going on here? And peace was brought by violence. Peace was brought by the oppressor always through violence. And if you didn't agree, you were tortured or crucified. This is the culture, this is the context that we need to understand about Mary. Because it doesn't make sense any other way. Taxes. Remember Herod was the king, the king of the Jews, because he ruled over their space. Taxes were at 90%. So it was crippling. It was unbearable. People were on their knees. They were hungry. They were losing their homes. They were forced, forced to fall 
in line and there was despair. There's another quote from a writer of the time that says this, when they, about the Romans, when they make a desert, they call it peace. Can you see what that's about? When they make a desert, when they destroy everything in their path, they call that peace. So Mary, the person that we heard about in uh, the reading that Amy did, she is a child of an oppressed people. And she knows that she's got this history. She's got a supremely common name. Loads and loads and loads of people were called Mary. So I feel like in some ways the fact that she's called Mary is almost this weird invitation to all of us to understand. This is about, this is about us, this story as well. Mary is basically, today we'd call her a child bride, just to be clear. And she's going to be married, get married to Joseph, who is a descendant, it is told, of David. And the very mention of the name David is echoed down way back those whole thousand years to the last time to the last time we were free. And what is Mary told? This ordinary girl. You, you, Mary, you ordinary kid, like the age of the people who helped in the worship group this morning. You are highly favoured. God is with you. Can you see that this story is not running to the script of what everyone else thinks? God comes to the oppressed. God comes to the ordinary and not the extraordinary, not the emperor, not the king, not the one who builds the giant statues of himself. And the angel says to her, don't be afraid. <laughs> Can you imagine saying that to a 12 or 13 year old? Don't be afraid. Woo. Um, you're going to have a son. You must call him Jesus. He is going to be the son of the most high. He's going to be on the throne of David. And his reign is going to be forever. Every one of these statements is a hit between the eyes of the empire. Every single one of these statements from the angel. It is not Caesar. It is not going to be Caesar on the throne. And it is not Caesar forever, ever. The empire, I feel like this is a Star Wars thing. The empire is going to come to... Maybe that's a weird thing. The empire is going to come to an end because this king, born to an ordinary kid, his reign is going to be forever and this Jesus will be called the Son of God. 
So you, Mary, you, Mary, are part of something that is so very counter to the empire. Mary's response, I don't know how you would respond in that given situation. I don't know how you even respond now when God say, God, you've sensed that there's something you're being called into by God or you're being asked by God to, to change lanes a bit or I don't know. I don't know how you respond. Maybe you're a bit reluctant. Maybe you ignore it. Maybe you deflect it. It's great. It says in the text, Mary was deeply troubled. I think that's like the biggest understatement in the world. So what does she do? She's a woman. She's a girl. So she goes and finds her sisterhood. She goes to her cousin. Because that's what we do. And she talks to her. And finds this, oh, there's a bigger story here for you as well. And then Mary responds. And then she responds. And it's a response of utter defiance, utter resistance, and utter revolution. It is guttural. Sometimes I think we like, we, you know, we think of um, King's College Choir singing the Magnificat and, at Christmas, you know, and it's all these very beautiful, stunning voices. And it is stunning. But actually, I think it was more guttural. Someone has said that this piece of prose is possibly the most muscular poem in history. This is utter defiance, what Mary says. She is a kid and she stands against the empire and she starts to announce it. Mary declares her intentions and you feel her courage grow with every line that she's, you Have you ever had that? You know, where you're like, yeah, no, no, I'm in. No, I'm really, no, come on, let's go. You can feel it. It's like going to watch Les Miserables. By the end of it, you're like, come on, I'm going to be part of the... Re Sorry. <laughs> so here we are in this Magnificat. And Mary declares her intentions and you feel her courage grow. And in the first half, it's all about how she perceives God. And it's like she's enlarging God in her head the whole time. My soul magnifies you. And she repeats the things over and over again, all through the first half of this piece of writing. And then we get to the second half, she shifts her horizon completely. It's like she goes, whatever this crazy is about, whatever this is that I am being invited into, I understand that this is more than just being about me. And in the second half, we get this resistance and this revolution and this strident powerful voice coming out of this young girl she uses the word savior exactly the same word that was used to describe caesar she uses a military word about the god that she is following she is opposing 
the empire. The Magnificat, Nathan and I were talking before the service this morning. He, uh, Nathan explained to me that in some places, the Magnificat has been banned historically from being used because it is too incendiary for people. The second half, she knows as she announces these things, that these are about what she knows of who God is and what God has always been all down through those thousand years, all through the oppression, but also all that will be going forward. Mercy on those that fear him. He's going to scatter the proud. Who are the proud? The proud are those that build statues to themselves where they put little baby Cupid at the, Cupid's baby at the bottom and they're giant statues and This is a declaration. Those people who are proud, you're going to be brought down. Rulers on their thrones. Who do you think she's talking to? Mm, It's just like a, mm, it's a metaphor. No, it's not. (laughs) It's not a, it is a declaration. The empire, you will be brought down. The rich, who was the rich? Herod was taking taxes at 90%. You will be sent empty away. Why? Because this God is a different God. This God is on the side of the poor and the oppressed and the marginalized. Mary, a young girl, finds herself right at the center of the story of God. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. The whole thing narrows and narrows until at last it comes down to a little point, small as the point of a spear, a Jewish girl at her prayers. The enormity of this incredible story comes down to a kid who says, I will stand against the empire. Mary's song. We can't grasp the depth of Mary's obedience until we grapple with her revolutionary disobedience. Mary's song, her seeking of God, are all rich, all rich with a declaration that she knows she's called to participate in something and to be in opposition to empire. And we're invited to this too. We're invited into the story that's not yet over. We're to stand against oppressors and empires, whoever they are. And when women stand, any women in here, when we stand, we're in her legacy. When any of us stand against empires, We are in her legacy. Stand to resist the empires of violence and hatred, of racism, of exclusion, of individualism. This story, I think, invites us to stand to resist every, everything, every other God every power and every principality that doesn't reek of love.
just as Mary did. And it will be our disobedience that points the way to our obedience. We're going to take um, communion together in a moment. And I was thinking about this story and Mary and communion and things being broken and poured out. Mary literally called to embody Christ. And I think that we too are called to join in that. We too are called to embody Christ in the world. When Jesus shared the Last Supper with his uh, followers, he talked about his body being broken. as they ate bread. And he talked about his blood being spilled as they took wine with one another. There's this great uh, verse um, in uh, the beginning of um, John's gospel translated in the message where it talks about Jesus um, becoming flesh and blood and moving into the neighborhood incarnation we are called to be the embodiment of that incarnation to be flesh and blood in our neighborhoods and with the people that we spend our lives amongst and to spend those uh, times that we have with people in such a way that embodies Christ to them. Mary, maybe if we were going to play word association again, our words would be different. Strong. Resilient. Brave, probably scared, bold, courageous, a resistor, and a revolutionary. I'm going to pray for us before I invite uh, you to come and receive, um, take bread and wine. Um, but also to say to you um, that uh, a couple of um, members of the leadership team of the church are going to be standing to the sides of the tables where you're coming to. Um, if you would like um, uh, those people to just um, give you a blessing, um, maybe there's something that uh, you really would just like to know God's blessing on you. Maybe something that's been said today or something you've been thinking through over the week. Then it will just be a simple blessing. It's not a big prayer or anything like that. Then those people will be delighted to do that for you. 
um, if you just move to the side where they are when you've collected, um, taken the bread and the wine. So we are called to be the embodiment of Christ in the world. Broken, poured out, strong, scared, but bold enough to stand against all the empires. Let's pray. God, thank you that you uh, meet us where we are, as we are. God, thank you that you met Mary in such an incredible way. God, we are inspired by who she was, her strength, her boldness, her willingness to declare who you are, what you are like, to stand against empires. God, as we uh, remember, as we take communion, um, you breaking bread with your earliest followers as you shared wine. Lord, help us to consider how we embody you in the world. Help us, Lord. Help us to see things differently and give us the courage that we need to stand against empires. So um, in a moment, if you'd like to come down and receive um, the bread and wine, I'm going to put some uh, these just to help us reflect, um, and Nathan and the band are going to play.